0: And good morning. Hope you guys are safe and well. Uh, We're going to have an amazing call today. We got, I think, more questions than last week. And I want to introduce you guys to a great talent we added to our team, Hosh, that's going to fill in for Logan today. Logan's out sick. I got three employees out sick. And it seems like everyone this this round got the COVID. Um, Hope you guys are safe and stay out of trouble uh we're gonna wait a few more seconds for you guys to hop on and then we're gonna have uh hosh read me today's questions and we do have a new member i believe is mr rezwan khan so welcome to the group uh hopefully you'll join us for the call today and uh we'll get started shortly good morning amin ed and i still see a lot of facebook users but uh, yes. we have yes.
1: Josh. Good morning, Josh. Uh, Russell, very good morning to you. Ellen, Kevin, good morning.
0: All right, well, we can get started.
1: Wonderful, so first question is from Sean. He said, I currently have a, bill, a retail building under contract. The seller's agent has told us that although the tenants have triple net leases, mm-hmm. the seller has not been enforcing tenant reimbursements. In other words, he is suggesting that the tenants aren't paying triple net. What would you What would you do in such a circumstance?
0: Yeah, I don't come across this often, but if it's a very, you know, um, Older landlord, and he's held the property for many years, not about 15, 20, 30 years. He's probably just self-managing, doesn't have a bookkeeper. I would say uh, definitely get tenant estoppels because the tenant estoppels is a single or two-page document that's going to basically uh, be sent to the tenant to confirm their base rent, triple net charges, um, whether they're paying it or not. They're going to have to confirm their, if their lease is triple net or not. Um, I think that's really uh, uh, other than getting the seller's tax returns, which would show what he's showing in gross rents for that property, which, um, you know, reason it's reasonable to ask if he's not uh, providing you any other PNLs. and um, That's what I would do.
1: Wonderful. He has a follow-up question. Uh, mm-hmm. The seller's agent is also suggesting that the seller does not have any P&Ls or official financial statements for this mm-hmm. property. He says that the seller is old school and an absentee owner. <laughs> if I ultimately yep. cannot get any financials from them, what do I do? I've never encountered this issue before.
0: Yeah, definitely. As for tax returns, um, he must be filing tax returns and then uh if it's you know under his own uh, personal name it would obviously be on his you know his real estate schedule and his personal 1040s uh, tax returns and that's what i would ask because you definitely need to have verification what income this property is generating Uh, if he doesn't give you any documentation i wouldn't buy the property because you're going to also have a hard time getting a loan on it um any lender is going to want a two-year uh, profit loss statement, and as well as the new buyer that you're going to sell it to. So you got to have history, and um, it, you know if he doesn't have it, have him go generate it. Get a bookkeeper and uh, provide all his bank statements. Uh, it'll be a lengthy process, probably a couple of months, but he needs to get it. Uh, you know, in my opinion, unless it's a single tenant building, you can. Um, you know, easily calculate the net operating income.
1: Wonderful. All right. Next question is from David. David says, six months ago, you mentioned he didn't mind holding cash. Mm-hmm. Prices are soaring on some real estate and there seems no end in sight. What are your thoughts about inflation, holding cash and investing in this environment? Mm-hmm. Do you have any more concerns about inflation?
0: Well, yeah, you know, inflation is apparent, is here, but Also, we have the Fed that um, is going to hedge against inflation by raising rates. Uh, They've already confirmed three rate hikes this year. And every time that happens, it dampens the prices of all asset classes that are leveraged. That's uh, tech companies. uh, Real estate's a big one. That's, you know, highly leveraged asset. So that does a reverse effect. Um, In my opinion, if you waited this long, wait another six months. Uh, March, we're going to have the first rate hike. And I believe we're going to have two rate hikes in six months. And you'll see the market uh, and just wait and see uh, approach is what I would recommend.
1: Wonderful. All right. Next question is from Suraj. Uh, Suraj says many cities have central business districts and general commercial zoning. Mm-hmm. Does it make any difference in terms of an overall value of a property? If you have an option for buying in a general commercial versus central mm-hmm. business district zone.
0: Yeah, good question. You know, I would stay away from downtowns, which is your CBD uh, submarket. Uh, they tend to be older buildings, uh, very low parking ratio, and it's becoming more obsolete. Uh, a lot of tenants are going uh, out in suburbs, moving from the vertical buildings to two or three or four story. Uh, buildings. And uh, that's would be my recommendation. I'm not buying anything in downtown uh, or CBDs.
1: Sweet. Um, So Suraj has another couple of questions. His next question is, if we are investing in an area out of state where we don't have any realtor contacts, would you suggest that we use the seller's realtor as, as our buyer's realtor, since they know the area and the property best? Or do you think there's a conflict of interest involved and you mm-hmm. recommend finding our own realtor
0: no i would definitely recommend using the listing broker um, it's actually the other way around if they know you're going to continue working with them and they're going to continue to make money of this property or subsequent future properties with you uh, they'll be more upfront with you and they'll have more of your interest in mind so uh, and legally they could represent both sides and they have a fiduciary responsibility, if they're representing you, to uh, basically share all the knowledge and thoughts on the property and uh, be truthful in, you know, in that manner. So uh, definitely recommended it. And, and I do that often, um, just on the 3-3 three, three building, I did the same thing. So listing agent was uh, Michelle Wogan with TransWestern, and I had her represent me, and she recommended me as a buyer on the property. Of course, I have a you know prior relationship uh, with her on uh, same property as well as two other properties. So we've done business for many years. But but it's uh, it goes uh, uh, for you not against you. In other words,
1: got gotcha. you wonderful. Uh, last question from Suraj: What would you do? I'm sorry. What would be a good FAR for mm-hmm. us to look at for when we research or buy properties? Mm-hmm.
0: You know, <clears throat> floor area ratio is obviously for every asset class is different. As a general rule, you know, anything under 0. 0.25 or less, uh, it's it's favorable. Uh, so that means if you got 10,000 square feet lot, your building would be 2,500 square feet floor area. So it would be 25%. So 75% is land, right? So anything, anything lower than 0. 0.25, I see it as a great value add for development. Um, or doing call center or medical.
1: <clears throat> Very nice. All right. Our next question is from Rizwan. Rizwan, welcome to the team. Um, he said, "I lived in San Diego. Mm-hmm. I'm moving. I, I think I may have to drive an hour to places like Temecula, like Elsinore, Corona. What do you think about going to other states in search for better deals?"
0: Oh, well, I love out of out of state deals. <clears throat> you get um, obviously a much bigger territory to cherry pick from. Uh, number two, you get a much higher cap rate. Um, San Diego, Orange County, you know, you're not gonna get much. There is a lot of demand uh from buyers uh because there is a you know values are high. So there is a lot of sellers selling their property. So there is a 1031 exchange money going around that they want to go ahead and reinvest in their, you know, San Diego Orange County market where they sold their property. So because of that, uh the demand's always staying high unless we we go through you know the next down cycle but out of estate is great you uh get a much uh you know bigger pot to cherry pick from and also higher uh, cash flow
1: cool his second question is currently i'm qualified for a 1 million purchase with 150k down Mm -hmm. that said what asset class would be best to start with would i find how can I find deals and what brokers to use?
0: You know, I, like I've mentioned in the past, I like a small retail centers that ta- they're tailoring to the neighborhood, immediate neighborhood. Uh, you know, and you should be able to find, you know, a, a neighborhood retail center for a million dollars, uh, give or take, if you're out, looking out of a state. Um, I don't like office buildings uh, in that price range. Um, But retail center is one I think I would focus on. It's much easier to exit on a retail center than an office in this market. So um, if your intention is to find a value add, add your lipstick and uh, make the property more efficient and flip it, I would stick to a small retail center.
1: Wonderful, last question. I think I know the answer to this one. What is your opinion on getting a real estate license?
0: (laughs) Absolutely, for a few hundred bucks you can be licensed. Now it is a seller's market, so on most properties I'm putting offers on. I'm not asking for a fee, but in a down cycle, uh, I've always been able to get a fee on every single deal, including this building. I bought in uh, recession in 2011. I got two and a half percent commission on a 3.1 million dollar deal, so there was 75, 80 grand. I only put 10 percent down, so I got. Almost 3% of it back from my commission. Uh, because it's going to be a buyer's market, sellers are going to give up uh, more fee uh, you know, in, that, in, in those type of markets. So you, you know, it's not just getting fee uh, by being licensed, it's getting knowledge. Uh, the knowledge you get by being licensed, you're going to learn all the real estate principles, how is the appraisal, uh, you know, come up with the value, Sales approach, replacement cost, and uh, income approach. So it's good to get educated for a few hundred bucks, and now you're going to be a real estate professional if you practice and you do have some tax advantages that are huge. <clears throat> if you do um, in California, you got to uh, spend 750 hours a year uh, as a real estate uh, agent to become, you know, be identified as a professional uh, in eyes of IRS. But in some other states are different, but. You have tax benefits, you got knowledge, and you could earn money. So (laughs) no-brainer.
1: Wonderful. All right, next question is from Robin. Robin says, have you ever sold a property because an appraisal came in too low and you knew it would sell for more?
0: Mm, Don't follow. Um, No, I've never had that scenario. Okay.
1: Okay. All right, next question is from Uh, Watchtech. Watchtech said, I listed my multifamily property two weeks ago. I have been getting uh, interest and showings, but no offers yet. When would you consider lowering the price to get more interest?
0: That's tough. I mean, if it's 45 days and you still don't have a single offer, uh, the market has spoken. Uh, Given it's multifamily and multifamily is super hot uh, asset class right now, even thirty days, I would say, if you don't have an offer, I would uh, revisit with your listing agent. Uh, you know, he he may have overpromised you on it.
1: Gotcha. All right. Next question is from Ryan. Ryan said, "Would you ever do a deal that would that has a ground lease? If so, what are you looking for, or do you have? Do you just avoid all properties with ground leases altogether?"
0: No ground lease. I have one I bought in two thousand seven. 14 years I've owned the property and it's been a very difficult property for me to sell um, and I have not been able to sell it and it's going to be a massive loss even if I do sell it or auction it off because nobody wants to buy just a building they want the land too
1: absolutely wonderful uh, next question is from Henry mm-hmm. Henry says I saw an amazing value at property in my city it turns out it was on the market for a year and a half and it wasn't sold Uh multiple tenants building in the late built in the late 90s multiple vacancies and only around 1.9 million looks like it's worth a phone call what are your thoughts on expired listings would you Mm -hmm. go directly to the seller to make an offer or use the former agent
0: oh definitely reach out to the seller first um no point of you going to the broker because that broker doesn't have the exclusive right to sell it right and he's going to be pitching it uh to the owner and the owner very likely is not going to be uh receptive or excited to hear about a broker that couldn't sell a property for a year and a half (laughs) so uh definitely no broker i would go directly to seller say hey i've noticed your property was on the market with so and so and didn't sell um, I've driven by, um, I like the property. I want to see if you're still interested. If so, you know, what, what's your expectation on price? He may just say, make an offer, but, uh, definitely reach out to the owner.
1: Wonderful. His next question <clears throat> is, uh, can we hear more about your Seaburg deal? Mm-hmm. What's the opportunity? The market, the market only had about 45 K population. Mm-hmm. I live 40 minutes away and went to school in that area.
0: Wow! Ah, nice. Um, I like the center for several reasons. Um, this is the one in Virginia, guys. This is a 168000 retail center anchored by Food Lion, Tractor Supply, Dollar General. Um, that area is uh, obviously Virginia Tech, huge, huge uh, driver for employment, a lot of disposable income. The density is not there, yep, uh, but there is an exception to my rule for density. I've said that before over and over. Uh, if you do have an uh, anchor tenant that draws traffic from, you know, three to five mile radius and beyond, um, and they do very good sales per foot, then the density requirement for me is not as big of an issue. Uh, in this case, Foodline does uh, $12.7 million last year. That's 413 bucks a foot. Uh, they occupy 29,000 feet. Uh, you got tractor supply is doing great. So great that they did an er- early renewal. Um, and, uh, aside from that, you, you know, you have that main highway, uh, I think it's highway. Actually, I have it here. Um, yeah, you have 460 and highway 11. So it's, you know, location wise, uh, it's great location. You got great anchors that draw the traffic and, uh, I like the property for the fact that I can out-parcel food line and there's an arbitrage there for, for cap rate, selling at a lower cap rate, some potential for out-parceling, maybe Dunkin' Donut drive through and uh, what have you, and then um, as well as 37,000 square feet in the back of the building, which, uh, you know, we are going to look into mini storage and, and an existing tenant expansion. So there is a lot of play there. And the market's so hot uh, to buy something for 59 bucks a foot uh, with this type of quality tenants. uh, It's unheard of.
1: Wonderful. And then his last question is, what are your thoughts about the Miami Vegas and Mm -hmm. Charlotte markets?
0: I like Charlotte Vegas, Miami, not so much. Um, I've seen very big swings during the down cycles with Miami Vegas. uh, And for that reason, I, I just don't like it. The swings are so severe because there's supply and demand. There's a huge imbalance, right, when the side, when, when the tide turns. And as you can see, Miami right now, <clears throat> they're going uh, gangbusters on development uh, of apartment condos. And uh, Vegas, the uh, reason I don't like it is a single uh, economy. Uh, drive, uh, drive of basically gambling, you know, it's driven by gambling and if something happens and, uh, you know, people don't have money to go gamble, like the Great Recession, uh, you can see 60, 70, 80% drops like we did experience with Vegas in 2008 to 2011. So uh, that's the that's my reasoning for those two, two markets.
1: Wonderful. All right. Next question is from Jeremy. Jeremy said when you're analyzing a deal how Mm -hmm. do you migrate I'm sorry how do you mitigate against unexpected Mm -hmm. capital expenditures for example if property cash flows at Mm -hmm. 4k per month according to your analysis but six months into your ownership an elevator has a major failure right away that's taking Mm -hmm. a big chunk of money that wasn't expected Mm -hmm. is that part of your uh, inspections and due diligence
0: 100% so when you're going to purchasing a property, you want to definitely get property condition report, PCR. And this is typically ordered by your bank. It's called third-party reports, right? The main ones are environmental report, appraisal, PCR, right? Those three are like the main. And then, you know, title report, it's given, you know, the title provides that and the survey on the property Uh, But bottom line is when you get your PCR, uh, it'll tell you if there is any immediate repairs uh, necessary and what are the budgeted repairs for the next five years. Sometimes they do a 10-year schedule. Um, Aside from that, you want to check your service contracts. In this case, you mentioned elevator. Well, you want to make sure those are a maintenance uh, program, which they should be, uh, just like your chiller system, your HVAC on a quarterly maintenance program where let's say otis for example is a big one that handles the elevators if otis is doing a maintenance program on these well just check the report Uh, last time they were inspected if there was any recommendation Um, but in general the pcr will uh, give you enough color to avoid a substantial you know, uh, downfall and, and, and any any failure on elevator or big equipment on the property.
1: Gotcha. Wonderful. Jeremy has another question. He said, if you do find something during the due diligence, is it common to ask the seller to either remedy the situation mm-hmm. or reduce the price since you'll have to replace it?
0: 100%. It's, it's pretty much expected. Um, unless the seller has noted in the offering memorandum, that the uh, you know certain uh, parts of the property are in need of repair, uh, or the broker discloses it to you, then you know it's no surprise, right? Uh, you would make an offer, assuming you're gonna have to put a new roof or uh, remedy that uh, that situation. But yeah, it's expected if you do get a surprise during due diligence to go out and kind of meet in the middle usually on the cost.
1: Wonderful. Next question is from Edward. Edward says, when looking at apartment units, is there a criteria for per price per unit that we mm-hmm. can use as a metric similar to price per square feet when looking at commercial properties or is residential mainly governed by location?
0: Uh, no. I mean, multifamily, usually you call it price per door. But when you do that, you want to make sure you're comparing apples to apples. Uh, you could have a 12-unit all-studio That's 400 square feet a a unit versus a 12-unit, two-bedroom, one-bath. That's 800 square feet each. I mean, that's not apple to apple, right? So you got to make sure you uh, pick the right unit mix on the comps and about the same square footage uh, ballpark. But GRM is another indicator a lot of multifamily investors use, uh, gross rent multiplier. And that's usually basically taking your gross rents and time use a multiplier on it. If it's, you know, nine or less usually is good. Uh, That's basically the property selling nine times gross rents, for example, right? But uh, when you wanna do comps, definitely unit mix and the size of units is what comes to, uh, and garage too. If there are unit, a building with garages or cardboard and one doesn't have garage, that's a big one. You wanna adjust value for that too.
1: Wonderful. Next question is from Zoran. Um, he said there are there was an old Kmart by mm-hmm. me where it was torn down, and a nice strip mall is being built now with a Ross store an Amazon Fresh store, and looks like maybe three other retailers coming in. Is this a profitable idea to invest in?
0: Oh, only if you got the tenants lined up. <clears throat> um, I guarantee you, this person that demoed the Kmart already had leases in place. For Amazon Fresh and all these other tenants you mentioned, because these tenants have a specific footprint, they're cookie cutter in in mostly, and uh, you can't just go ahead, build it, not knowing who's going to go in there. So typically, these are called built to suit. Um, You'll go get your anchor tenants, you build to suit for them, and then you'll put some inline stores for your mom and pops to come and occupy.
1: Wonderful. Our next question is from John from the Facebook comments. He said, if let's say you have enough capital to cover a commercial property with 70 to 75% LTB mm-hmm. and the property after underwriting is at least cash flowing with a 1.25 DSCR, mm-hmm. uh, but you have no prior or minimal income to show for, could you still have could you still qualify for a commercial loan? Or would not having any income be a deal breaker? Also, mm-hmm. would suggest um, either partnering up with another investor who can qualify for that loan or find a
0: consigner. Mm-hmm. Co-signer, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, definitely. If you don't have no income on your tax returns for two years and you don't have experience owning a shopping center uh, or any kind of income property, you're going to have a hard time. Even though a property does provide cash flow. And debt service coverage is there. Lenders want to see an experienced owner to be able to perform, right? What they don't want is uh, you have a $1,500 lease on your Porsche. You don't show income uh, and you go ahead, uh, buy the property three years from now. You have basically been a burden on the property's cash flow. You don't have money to pay the property taxes. And the property deteriorates. You have a lease, a new tenant that wants to lease, and you have to pay 70 grand in TIs, but you don't have it. And the property will suffer. And the landlord, uh, the lenders obviously want that collateral to be in good hands. And if you don't have uh, some experience and some income, you're going to have definitely a need for a co signer or a partner, equity partner.
1: Wonderful. Next question is from Ali. He has uh, uh, three questions, Facebook mm-hmm. comment. Uh, what occupancy percentage are you targeting to eventually get your 333 building in Texas up to? Given the general yeah. office market and Greens Point area is in particular, mm-hmm. and in what time frame are you expecting to it to happen?
0: Great question. I just had that conversation uh, yesterday with Michelle Wogan, my leasing broker. Um, Green's Point is one of the toughest markets right now. They actually changed the name uh, to uh, Greater Northern uh, Houston, uh, I believe. But I do have uh, quite a bit of vacancy in that property. I think we're at 33% occupancy. And uh, we plan to get it to 80% occupancy within two years, maybe two and a half years. And the action plan is to go floor by floor and make those turnkey 1,500 to 3,000 square feet units that are turnkey, ready to rent, and hit the market at much lower. The markets right now, my competition's at $11 a foot, uh, triple net, and I'm gonna go at $8 a foot, triple net, uh, turnkey. And they don't have a lot of uh, small units in my competitive buildings. They have a much bigger footprint uh, uh, vacancies. So, I think that's my action plan. Just bringing much smaller tenants, as startups, they need space and give them rent abatements and uh, bonus, uh, signing bonus. Uh, and I feel pretty good about it. So, uh, two years, two and a half years, get to 80, 85%, and sell the building again for a third time. Nice.
1: All right. Uh, next question from Ali is: I see a lot of gross leases in large office building rent rolls, mm-hmm. even with large footprint tenants. Is it how they are usually done? I don't see many triple net leases.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, it depends. You know, triple net leases are a function of uh, how big of a tenant and how great of a credit and how new of a building uh, for that area, right? If it's a Class C two-story building you're not gonna see triple net leases done. If it's a high rise with the uh, class A amenities, like my building, uh, it's normal to see triple net. I mean, all the buildings I'm competing against, they're all triple net.
1: Got you. Last question from Ali is, I'm noticing many cases where credit tenants and retail centers mm-hmm. are using the renewal option as a tool against landlords to negotiate down the rent. Mm-hmm. It seems like they know landlords don't want them to leave. This way, renewal options are becoming something to worry about rather than a blessing. How are you dealing with situations like these?
0: Oh, renewal options are great. Um, they're, it's a blessing. Uh, whether you have a tenant uh, you know, that has a renewal option or doesn't have a renewal option, I mean, they're going to negotiate with you anyway. Um, so it doesn't matter. But to have that renewal option is great because if, they're not coming up for renewal for two years and they have a five-year renewal option. Well, when you want to sell the building, you know that uh, renewal option is probably have a set rent as, at the higher market. And at least you can you know run your performance b- based on that, whether the tenant's going to negotiate or not. Two years is, is a lifetime, right? So uh, having options is better than not having options, but the tenant's going to renegotiate anyway in a market that's a tenant market.
1: Wonderful, and I think we can do one last question here. Last question from Michael. Mm -hmm. I'm looking at an eight thousand square feet multi-tenant office building that almost—that's almost two thousand square feet of common area. Have Mm -hmm. you found any ways to monetize common
0: areas? Well, no. uh, You are getting money money for it. Um, So common areas are part of your load factor. So if it's eight thousand square feet tenant. A six thousand square feet tenant, and you have two thousand square feet common area. Guess what? The tenant's paying you on eight thousand square feet uh, because that's the net rentable area, not usable space. Uh, And all tenants pay their pro rata share of common area. Uh, To monetize it, you could put a daily. Um, I've done that before on some of my properties. Uh, You could put a conference room in there and charge tenants per hour to use it, Uh, but given the market is so uh, so much a struggling with office buildings, uh, it's usually amenities you're gonna offer for free to get tenants in.
1: Wonderful. So uh, for any questions that have not been answered, uh, we'll be sure to answer back to you.
0: Yeah, thank you guys. Thank you, Hosh, this was great. Pleasure. You did great. Um, you guys be safe, be well, and uh, I'm leaving for vacation tonight. But uh, next week, our call is going to be moved to Wednesday. I'll get back, you know, med date on Tuesday. So let's uh, do the call on Wednesday. And uh, my team will send you guys a reminder. But with that said, uh, this was great. Hope you guys enjoyed the call. Use that helpful tool and uh, be safe people. See you guys next week.